everyone, and welcome to Keeping Them Safe, the conversation for eliminating child sexual abuse from the planet. You know, that is a uh, big dream, right? That's uh, one of those in my lifetime probably not going to get accomplished. However, without an effort, it never will be accomplished. And we must continue to expand this conversation so that every single responsible adult in the world is engaged in an environment where they are looking for the risky behaviors of adults and interrupting them in a way that protects children from predators. We're going to talk today about something a little bit different, but it may be a question you have. It's a question that a lot of people have, and it's a question that comes up quite often when I'm talking to others about this because it is an issue that is often in the media. We're going to talk today about how child sexual abuse and human trafficking of children are similar and yet quite different. Sexual abuse and human sex trafficking do have one thing in common for sure. Adults using children for sexual gratification. However, the situations are quite unique, and it's useful for us to be able to articulate, you know, to really clearly define the differences and the similarities between the two situations. Many of the elements of human trafficking are present in child sexual abuse, but in a very different way. While you could say that a victim of child sexual abuse in their own home, in their own family, is a victim of a form of slavery, trafficking is, in fact, a form of slavery. Victims of trafficking are locked away in secure locations. They're fed little or nothing, and they are treated as chattel. They're treated like they are property by those who are trafficking them. Some are being trafficked for sex, and others are being trafficked for slave labor. And the biggest difference be between this aspect of trafficking and child sexual abuse is that the slavery is real, and the slavery in trafficking is emotional, psychological, and physical. You see, that child is actually removed from their environment and they're locked up and their services are sold to others. The slavery that is present in child sexual abuse cases is also emotional and psychological, but it's not in the same way physical. The child is trapped in a situation by the grooming process, by fear, and by the threats of the predator, who's someone they and their parents know, love, and trust, remember. And yet they're right there in front of us. They're living life, and almost nobody knows what's happening to them. Trafficked children are also not groomed in the same way as in cases of child sexual abuse. There is grooming, but it, it usually takes the form of a person 
who appears to be helping the child out of a bad situation. Maybe that child needs money for food or clothing, or maybe the child needs shelter, a place to live. In other situations, young teens that are at odds with parents are vulnerable to the support of traffickers. The trafficker uses those needs to attract the child, to lure them into a trap where they can be spirited away. The other big difference here is that there is no slow, steady grooming process. You know, I've spoken to predators who've taken months to groom a child, who've waited, who've cultivated, who've taken those steps slowly and gradually over time so the child and the community are all lured in. In the trafficking world, everything happens quickly. And although there are thousands of children trafficked in the U.S. every year, they're rarely even reported missing because most of them are homeless or runaways or both. One young victim referred to the grooming of a trafficker as selling the dream. Hmm. Yeah, it's a perfect description. You see, he used her needs, her vulnerabilities, her dreams of a better life, of a solution to the experience that she was so trapped by that she had to leave. And he used those things to draw her in and then kept telling her and others, even when this person was on trial, that participating was her choice. He blamed everything on her. And this, this is the psychological trap that young victims of trafficking find themselves facing. Grooming for child sexual abuse cases has some of the same characteristics. However, the children are not removed from their environment. The victims of child sexual abuse may be and often are trapped in a psychological grooming by the predator, but they're not physically removed and treated as slaves. Now, I want you to be clear. One way is not better or worse. They're just different forms of the same kind of abuse. And, you know, the predator who blames the child for everything is no different than the one who blames the child for coming on to them for cultivating the relationship, for saying yes, when the child is being sexually abused. Remember, when we talked earlier about the grooming process, one of the things we said was they convinced the child that they love them. They convinced the child that this is something that's appropriate to the relationship. You see, as I said, one way is not better or worse. They're just very different forms of the same kind of abuse. And we want to be able to distinguish between the two. Because sometimes in the conversations we have with those who are engaged with traffickers or with the media or with other parents, they sort of weave together and people can't seem to tell the difference. Traffickers also, just as child molesters do, 
entice children into their web of deceit. They use all kinds of things to trap the children in a new realm, a new world. But the problem is, once they've got them there, they spirit them away, and children have no real chance to escape. Child molesters trap children psychologically in the grooming process. And the children are left with the experience of being blamed and having no way out because nobody will believe them anyway. Another difference that is quite significant is that when a victim of child sexual abuse comes forward, when they are given the opportunity to be heard and they absolutely get the kind of treatment and intervention that they need from mental health professionals and social workers and psychologists who can assist them in dealing with what happened to them, they are likely to recover. They are likely to get their life back and to learn how to protect themselves from something like this in the future. Traffickers take children into a new environment and they wrap them in that new environment and the children can see no way out. So when a trafficked child is rescued from a trafficker, they actually have to be deprogrammed. Just like uh, years ago, we heard often about young people being deprogrammed from a cult Trafficked children have to be deprogrammed. They really do have to go into an environment where they can discover a real world again, discover the world that nurtures them, discover a world that cares for them in a healthy way, and discover that they can make responsible, healthy, appropriate decisions, and they can learn to live their life powerfully make their own way. This is perhaps one of the biggest differences between the two. We know how to treat survivors of child sexual abuse. We know the professionals in our community know what to do, what to listen for, how to empower them. We know how to work with them so that they can regain and restore their lives. We also know how to do that with trafficked kids, but it has to be done in a secure environment. They have to know they are safe from that predator in order to be able to consider they could have a life that wasn't being given by or driven by that trafficker. The work we're doing here is focused on educating us about the potentially risky adult behaviors that are exhibited by other adults in the environment that we engage with that are a risk to children, whether that is a risk from that particular person or whether that risk is something that is conditioning the child and the environment to accept behaviors as appropriate that when set aside and looked at independently would clearly be not appropriate. That's what we're here for. And the issue of trafficking raises up in our environment sometimes. People ask us about it or people mix up the two and think that we're talking about children who are snatched off the streets. Remember, 
the population we're looking to identify in these conversations and in training and developing ourselves are the people that are known and trusted by our children and by us, the people in our neighborhoods, the people in our families, the people in our environments, our churches, our schools, our youth serving organizations that are behaving in a way that places children at risk of potential harm. Trafficking is horrifying and tragic, and no human being should ever have to endure that kind of slavery. And raising awareness about it is a specialized effort that actually we want to leave to those who work in that field on a daily basis. What we're about is dealing with the things in our children's lives that also destroy the emotional, psychological, and physical well-being of children right before our eyes. Both of these things, child sexual abuse and human trafficking of children, are appalling and heartbreaking, and both deserve our attention, and both deserve our efforts to put an end to them. This program, however, is not intended to educate you about human trafficking. It is intended to educate you about the, if you want, everyday child sexual abuse perpetrator who lives on your street, works in your company, plays with your kids, is the parent of one of the other kids on their softball team, belongs to your church, leads their programs and organizations for young people in your neighborhood. These are the potential predators that we're looking to interrupt by discovering the behaviors they exhibit that are potentially risky and place our children and those of the children around us in a risky environment that threatens their well-being and threatens their future. We're here to identify and to put a stop to potential molesters. We're here to discover how to identify and intervene in grooming. We're here to stop child sexual abuse before it happens. Keeping them safe is dedicated to that. Our programs, our training, our podcast are here to educate you, to give you tools so that you can see the risks in your neighborhoods. You can see the risks in your schools. You can see the risks in the organizations your children participate in. And you can intervene in ways that stop it from going forward. You know, most often we're not going to be raising a red flag and we're not going to be calling attention to someone and we're not going to be pointing fingers. That really isn't what this conversation's about. If you've learned nothing else in the last few episodes, I hope that you have learned that what we're here about 
is noticing behaviors that go beyond an appropriate line and intervening in that moment to interrupt that behavior. What we want to do is stop the grooming process before it comes to fruition. And I know that can be scary, that can be confusing, that can be risky for you, because you might have to stop someone from doing something that you don't want to interrupt or that you feel uncomfortable interrupting. But remember, the little ones in our lives that we gave birth to, that we took responsibility for as foster parents and adoptive parents and caregivers, they're counting on us for that safe environment. They don't even know what it looks like, except that they know you're the one who said they could live in that environment. So I invite you to continue to practice what we're discovering here, to continue to train and develop yourself as someone who can see and interrupt the potentially risky adult behaviors that can lead to grooming of children and can end in child sexual abuse of a little one we care for deeply or a little one we don't know but care for as caring adults. Thank you again for joining us for keeping them safe. You know, one of the things I'm committed to is having these conversations be short and to the point. My uh, colleagues and my children could tell you I could go on for hours and hours about this issue, but I want you to get small doses of this so that you'll keep coming back and keep engaging in the conversations. It is by taking small bites, as they say, that you can eat an elephant. You can't eat it all at once. And so I'm committed that these conversations be short and to the point and give you everything you need so that you can begin to discover for yourself what it looks like when predators operate in your environment. Have a great day and invite others to come and join us in this conversation. We can make a difference and we can keep them safe. Mm -hmm.